Well, a listener wants to know, do I have to be a sleazy salesperson to get ahead? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, welcome in. We're getting ready to rock and roll with this edition of 48 Days Radio. Our business partner today is FreshBooks. I'll be telling you a little bit more about them in a moment. Yeah, we got some interesting questions today. As always, here as we go into the end of the year, you know, there's a lot of people who are being confronted with unexpected change. I mean, it's a time when companies are trying to figure out what do we want to do going into the new year. This is a great time to be taking charge of your career path, incidentally, whether it's to start a new business or look for a new job. I mean, this is a wonderful time to be doing that. So we've got some questions that address that. How do you get noticed? How do you get ahead? How do you get by the resume screening process that companies are using? Well, we got that and more. Some of the questions we have are, would it be appropriate for me to require my teenage employers, employees rather, to read any relevant personal development books? Dan, can you tell me? Enlighten me about the applicant tracking systems. Yeah, there's some sophisticated things out there that can work against you. I'll tell you how to get around that, how to make yourself a top candidate, even with those in place. And then somebody wants to know, is there a way to make money being a real estate agent without being the cold calling? I will tell you anything to get you to sign with me, salesperson. Well, we also have an update on one of the things I shared last week. Somebody was wanting to know how he could sell to the quarter of a million people that are going to show up. I don't forget the date, but at the Daytona Speedway, you know, are there things you could do? Well, sure there are. Well, I gave you a couple tips and had a listener call me out on that. So I gave bad advice. So I'll give you an update on that here as well. Hey, these are real questions. If you've got a question, you can shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. That comes directly to me, but in this special mailbox reserved for the podcast. Our quotation for the day comes from Bob Hope. Always a great guy. Did a lot of things at Christmas time, visiting the troops and all that. Here's a quotation from Bob. My idea of Christmas, whether old-fashioned or modern, is very simple. Loving others. Well, there you go. That's simple enough. Got some examples of that in our good news today. But the call to action then is, how are you loving others this Christmas? This next week, Joanna and I will be up in Chicago, our annual pre-Christmas trip to celebrate Joanne's birthday. But we're always reminded that there are people who are struggling, even though we'll be in a nice part of town in Chicago. There are people who come there because they know it's a nice part of town. And we're always reminded that there are a lot of people who are struggling this time of year. Well, our business partner today is FreshBooks. You know, there's a fascinating thing about the entrepreneur's journey, and that is that you what you see in the surface is not really the whole story. You know, I talk to people all the time who are attracted to this idea of being in business for yourself. Well, sure. I mean, if you make great apple pies, why wouldn't you make those and sell them to other people and have a great business? 
or if you like to mow your yard and keep it neat and trim and you decide you're going to expand and have a little yard service, well, what we don't often see is what's required behind that in order to really run a business. One of the obstacles with that feeling of being overwhelmed when it comes to dealing with all the all the paperwork administrative things that come with running your own show. You know, one of the things that, golly, I'm dealing with right now, I've had an abundance of technological challenges recently. You know, new printers getting set up, new routers, you know, router going out, and just those kind of things. Of course, with my sound system, been working on that. But there's a lot of things like that that are unexpected. Certainly one of those is the paperwork required to keep the finances in order. Well, conquering that is exactly why FreshBooks was created. They make cloud accounting software just really easy to use. So you won't even remember what it was like to feel overwhelmed by paperwork. You can create it and send a professional looking invoice. I did one just this morning for a company that you all know well, but that we do a lot of business with. Created an instant invoice, boom, ready to go, send it over electronically. I know they got it. I see when they open it and I usually get paid about five minutes later. Well, right now, FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all my listeners. To claim yours, go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. All right. Well, you know, we always have some good news. Uh, Certainly a lot of it happening this time of year and got some things here I want to share. And then we'll get into some of those intriguing questions as well. And I've also got some resources for you today. You're going to want to have a pen and paper handy. I'll put them in the show notes, but if you want them instantly, I'll give them to you here in a little bit. A couple things that will really help you uh, some depending on what it is you want to accomplish, but have some resources that I'm going to pass on to you here. Well, here's some good news. Sir Richard Branson will give $3 million to whoever can save the planet by reinventing the air conditioner. Now, when you think about it, you know, that's one of those things that's been around a very long time. And I don't know exactly when air conditioning was invented. I should have looked that up. But Sir Richard Branson is saying, we're using some very old technology just to crank them out as more and more people are using air conditioning. You know, actually, when when people start to earn money, that's one of the first things that they get is an air conditioning unit. I mean, think about it, even here in the United States, if somebody lives in a little trailer and eking out a living and gee, all of a sudden they got a little raise, they're doing a little bit more, getting more hours in, they get a window air conditioner. One of just the benefits of, of living where things are pretty good for us. Well, they're saying the amount of utilized air conditioning units could multiply to a whopping 4.5 billion units by 2050. And they generate a, a whole lot of carbon emissions as a byproduct. So that's why Richard Branson recently helped to launch an international competition that is searching for participants who can come up with a more sustainable design for the air conditioner. Now, here's the deal. The reason I love to share things like this is because this does not have to be somebody who is in a well-founded or funded company with a lot of technology advances at their disposal. Now, you know, we see solutions like this that come out of, you know, a kid in the middle of Ethiopia somewhere who just comes up with a, a better way to harness the wind and produces something, invents something. I mean, a lot of times the solutions of these come from very unexpected places or it may come from a 13 year old who figures out a way to do this. So as a means of combating 
climate change, the Global Cooling Prize is offering a $3 million prize for anyone who can design an air conditioning unit that has five times less of the environmental impact as the current unit, but for less than two times the current shelf price. Now, that's just a cool thing. Hey, just if you got an idea, I don't know what it is. I'm probably not going to be the one to to win that, but I'd love for somebody who's just an average person to come up with a solution for that so that we can not just keep doing what we're used to. You know, a lot of times things are just because we're used to doing them in a particular way. We just continue to have them that way. One of the things I mention often, of course, is the keyboard that we all use, you know, the keyboard being laid out as it is, so it would slow you down with some of the primary letters like the E and the I and the O where you have to reach up to get them rather than the primary row. What was done because people who were using typewriters would jam the keys because they were typing so fast. So they made the key layout such that it's hard to get to, thus slowing you down. Well, now we don't have typewriters, you know, with a keyboard functionality as it is now, you can't out type it. It'll go as fast as you can, but we still use that old clunky keyboard design. We need to change that. We need to start teaching kids a new keyboard layout. I'd love to see my grandkids switch to a new keyboard layout. Well, anyway, if you got an idea for a new air conditioning system, there you go. $3 million prize you could win. Now, one of the things we're seeing a lot is that small towns are offering cash incentives to people to move there just to stimulate the economy. I mean, the city of Tulsa just launched a program offering remote workers. So you don't even have to work in Tulsa, but just live there. And they're offering those people $10,000 and several other sweet perks as well. I mean, Vermont, Alaska, there's a whole lot of places that are doing that. Um, well, golly, I mean, Vermont, Sweetens the deal for millennials with maple syrup and mountains. Uh, There's a lot of things. Would you do that? Would you move to a place that may not be as appealing geographically if they gave you a cash incentive to do that? Now, I'm not sure that I would do that. To me, that kind of infringes on the lifestyle priorities that we talk about a lot here. But I wonder if any of you would do that. And would you move to Vermont for for $10,000? and a keg of maple syrup or whatever it is they're doing. Well, Tulsa is doing that. They're offering $10,000. Now, you know, that's not a bad place to live. It may be appealing to some of you. Easy to check that out. If you're looking for a place to live where geography really doesn't matter. Now, the other thing is, you know, one, one of the things is that the median cost of rent in Tulsa is $950. In San Francisco, it's $4,450. So if you're working remotely and you're living in San Francisco, you have a really high overhead just because of where you're living. If you work remotely and could do the same work and live in Tulsa and cut your expenses, my goodness, by 75% in terms of living expenses, yeah, that could really up your net income. Well, let's go through. I don't want to get caught in a tangent here. I want to go through some other quick good news stories and then move into our questions. Here's a school that installed vending machines that dispense free books to kids who read. Well, this is in Buffalo, New York, but they actually have a 
They stocked a machine, a vending machine with $1,000 worth of books. Students from kindergarten through fourth grade can earn free tokens for the machine with a classroom reward system that uh, gives them incentives to make regular trips to the library and to read books. Well, I like that. You know, it's kind of sad to me that we have to bribe kids to read books. I think if we allow kids to follow their curiosity, they're drawn to books. I mean, I've got some grandkids out there who travel full time and they don't have a structured school program and that they have to sit in a seat and learn how to read, you know, to get an A in the class. No. Well, one of those little girls uh, just discovered that there's a whole lot of amazing content inside the covers of books. And all of a sudden she's really motivated to read. Well, guess what? She's learning to read very, very quickly because it's something she wants to do. Well, provide the kids the right environment to nurture their curiosity and they'll read, they'll do science experiments, they'll learn physics and mathematics all on their own if given the right, you know, when, when our kids were little, of course, we, um, our boys were involved in bicycle motocross. Well, one of the things that we did was to build these little ramps, you know, out of plywood. Well, you learn the trajectory. How high is that going to throw a bicycle, depending on how fast you approach it and the angle at which that little ramp is built? We would study things like that. We built starting gates. So we would learn about math and physics and those things by doing projects together. Well, lots of opportunities to do that. Well, a couple more good news things here. Here's a secret Santa who paid off nearly $30,000 in Walmart layaways. This is in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, just last week. Secret Santa made the holiday season a little brighter for hundreds of shoppers near Philadelphia after paying off nearly $30,000 worth of layaways at a Walmart. Um, Andy Rumford says he was shocked when he went to make a payment at the Walmart location and found out someone else had picked up the tab. A Walmart official tells the newspaper the person who paid off the account wants to remain anonymous. Uh, this guy, Rumford, owned about a, owed about $150 on his items and went to pick them up on Saturday. Cashier told him someone came in and asked about all the items on layaway. And he wrote a check for $29,000 to pay off everything that was on layaway at that particular Walmart. Well, it's one of those examples of loving others, doing good for others this time of the year. Hopefully not confined to just this time of year, but I love those kind of stories. Well, here's here's another one that has to do with winter. Here's a nine-year-old boy convinces Colorado town to lift ban on snowball fights. Well, this well, it kind of goes back to the, the bureaucracy. Can you believe that there was a ban on snowball fights? Yes, there was. But this was on Monday, just last Monday, the board for the town of Severance, Colorado, voted unanimously to lift a ban on snowballs, according to the Associated Press. Dane Best, nine years old, argued that having snowball fights gives kids a good reason to play outside. So instead of just being inside watching TV or on video games or on their phones, you know, snowball fights are a good thing. But <laughs> it was banned in this town. The children of Severance want the opportunity to have a snowball fight like the rest of the world, he said during his three-minute presentation to the board. The original town ordinance had classified snowballs as missiles, making them illegal to throw. An amended version of the ordinance would exclude any spherical object formed from snow created by scooping snow with the hands and compacting it into a roughly fist-sized ball. 
Now, that's the kind of legalese that you get into when people don't have anything better to do than create laws that restrict people's freedom. Well, anyway, they overturned the ban on snowball throwing. I need to have this kid come here to Franklin, Tennessee with me and get in front of the boards here for some issues that I think are pretty outdated that we're dealing with as well. Well, won't go into that. Hey, one more story here. Texas farmers unite to harvest cotton crop of neighbor battling cancer. Greg Bishop will never be written down in a history book or applauded on stage at the Oscars, but in the West Texas community where he farms cotton, he is loved. He's fighting leukemia and undergoing chemotherapy. He wouldn't think of asking for help, though he would be the first to offer it to someone else in need. So his cotton crop was mature, ready to be picked, had 1,200 acres in Floyd County, and his doctors told him he really shouldn't do it. His health was just not up to it. So his neighbors got together and did it for him. They brought in about $12 million worth of farming equipment to his 1,200 acres. I mean, they came in and just swooshed and picked the cotton. They said, he's a, he's a great man. He's a good-hearted man. He's very humble. He's just the best person, the general manager of the co-op initiated this. He's known Bishop for 25 years. He said he's not really interested in speaking publicly, but he's agreed to be interviewed about the harvest because I want everybody to know what kind of guy Greg Bishop is and how much people think of him. So as harvest time neared, the community knew that this guy was struggling with cancer treatments. Um, It weakened his immune system. He was supposed to stay indoors. So they had a meeting and they and about 35 to 40 people came offering to help. They actually had to turn people away because people were just saying, what can we do to help? We're ready to help. So they organized this group harvest by coordinating machinery. Uh, they inspected this gentleman's fields to determine when the exact right time was for picking. There were other local companies that said, hey, we'll provide the gas. But the farmers said no. They wanted to provide it themselves. And they had some people come from over 100 miles away to help. Anyway, the guy was overwhelmed, obviously thankful for that. But again, the kind of thing, you know, I saw that a lot when I was growing up as a kid. So I saw that a lot where people just got together and helped each other, not looking for, gee, now you owe me, or I'm going to charge so much an hour, just somebody in need. I mean, we had an, we had a happening here um, at the sanctuary just this week that reminded me of the old Amish barn raisings, Amish barn raisings that I used to go to where, you know, somebody's barn would burn down. I remember clearly going to multiples of those. Well, it wasn't a matter of just, okay, now we hire a company to come out because the insurance is going to take care of it. You know, back in those days, a lot of farmers didn't have insurance for that kind of things. So you'd have 150 farmers show up, you know, with a lumber delivered and they'd build a barn in a day. It was amazing to watch. I mean, the women usually provided lunch. Well, we we had a a little event similar to that here this week. We were sending out boxes to every single member of the 48 Days Eagles community. We've never before processed so many orders in a single day. But we had a box. Here, Here are the components. There was a box. Then there was wrapping paper that needed to go in there, packing paper. And then three books would go in there. And then 48 peppermint candies, two necklaces. There was a sticker that went on the outside of the box. The boxes had to be sealed. And then the 
shipping label had to be put on there. Now, so it was a pretty, you know, intensive step-by-step process. And we did right at 500 of those in one day. Now, guess how that happened? That happened because Joanne mentioned that I was going to be needing to do this and be needing to bring in outside people to do it. She mentioned it to her art class. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to do this. You know, we're going to do this just in appreciation to you and Dan because, you know, they come here for art and other kind of things. You know, we're pretty generous with products and all that. So we had 13 of those ladies here who made that project happen. I mean, what a great way just to share. And we're certainly grateful. Uh, we provided a, a cool lunch for them, but uh, they expected nothing more than that. And this is not only the time of year, but the kind of people that we want to hang around and hope you have the privilege of doing the same. Well, let me jump into, well, here's a question from Sarah that kind of relates to this. Sarah says, where do you get all the wonderful good news that you share? And would it be legal to just share this news over the air or in print without getting prior written permission? Uh, She said, I'd like to know uh, about the amazing true stories about animals, especially the misunderstood stereotype breeds of dogs. And she goes on with what she wants. Well, you know, Sarah, I mean, I don't get permission. I mean, it's very readily available. There are a lot of great sources out there for good news. And as you, you know, I get a lot of things submitted from our listeners as well, or just have personal examples of good news. But a couple of the sites that I use, and you're certainly welcome to go there, is goodnewsnetwork.org. That's one where I pull information. Another one is msn.com. They have a good news section, but they're really easy to find. There's lots of good news out there. And uh, again, I I love the things that I'm exposed to in real life where uh, it's just good news. Well, last week, somebody asked about what they could do to sell to the quarter of a million people who are going to be coming to the Daytona race. And I said, oh, my goodness, you know, just look at what they would need. And one of the things I mentioned were the little fans that run off your phone. You plug it into your phone. Well, I had a listener, as often is the case, who uh, emailed me, gave me a little audio clip. It says, no, 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 don't do that. So here, for what it's worth, I'm going to pass on this information from Kevin about my bad advice about telling you to sell those little fans that connect to your iPhone. Hello, Dan. This is Kevin from Kansas City. I repair smartphones and tablets. I heard you make a comment about selling fans that run off charger port of your phone. Please do not recommend that as a item to sell. Those type of accessories that run on a smartphone charger port have been shown to be dangerous to the phone they can damage the battery they can damage the circuit board they can cause loss of data and even destroying the phone so that it is just a paperweight all right i'll cut there he gives me his phone number to contact him anyway hey passing it on i mean i love the kind of uh, corrective advice that comes from you the listeners so there you go he says not to use that I'll have to tell Joanne that. She uses those uh, pretty readily. Well, here's a question that comes from Melissa Detweiler. Melissa is a veterinarian, very active in the 48 Days Eagles community. And she has a question about employing and motivating teenagers. 
She says, at my veterinary clinic, we employ three to four teenagers as kennel assistants. The main responsibility for these kids is to care for the animals in our boarding kennel, as well as general cleaning and stocking around the hospital. It's not a glamorous position, but for teens who are interested in pursuing a veterinary career, it's the usual starting point. We've only been employing teens for the past two years, so it's a relatively new area for me. I'm the mother of a teenager, and while I see several similarities to parenting, it's not quite the same as being their supervisor. Now, for the most part, Melissa says, we've been fortunate to have great kids working for us, but I've definitely noticed an alarming trend within the teenage culture regarding priorities and work ethic. An after-school job is viewed as just another one of their optional activities. I often get last-minute text a few hours before their shift starts stating something else has come up in their schedule. They won't be able to to make it in. Sometimes they're able to get one of the others to fill in for them, but many times I'm left shorthanded at the end of the day. There just doesn't seem to be any sense of significance to their role as an employee. I'm fully aware of how busy today's teens are, how much pressure is put on them to be involved in everything. I'm also completely understanding that most of that is coming from the parents. But am I wrong to have an expectation that when they sign up for a job, they should be held accountable to that obligation? Now, she addresses some other things here about parents being involved, but her real question is, here's my question. Would it be appropriate for me to require them to read any relevant personal development books? If so, which ones would you recommend? Or is that adding too much into their already demanding schedules? Am I at risk of scaring them away from the position? I'm honestly not sure they care enough or make enough money to willingly participate. Well, that's a great question. Melissa, you certainly do have the right to require that as part of the position. Um, what you want is to be seen as more than just another employer. If you can be identified as somebody who really is interested in the personal growth and development beyond just paying somebody for their time to clean the kennels, Yeah. I mean, that word will spread. You want it to be seen as a real plum position to be able to work for you, not just because of the pay given, but because of this personal kind of mentoring that you're implying. Sure. So do I have books that I would recommend? Absolutely. Books like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz. Absolutely. I mean, people like, um, golly, my friend, Jesse Cole, who owns the Savannah Bananas, the baseball team down in Savannah, Georgia. I mean, he has a really active library for his employees and they read books together and they get rewarded for reading the books. You could even have that. You could even have some kind of a bonus in there if they read a book and then give you a report on it. But absolutely, you have the, the right to do that. But the real issue here, I think, is how do you make yourself stand out as not just another place to make 10 bucks an hour or whatever it is, but here is a plum position where you're going to really be mentored into being somebody valuable and also getting real insight into what would it be like to be a veterinarian? So you have an opportunity where it, yeah, it's just not an hourly job, but this is a, a mentoring position where they're shadowing you as a veterinarian to learn more about that. And that, that is a lot of perceived value that goes beyond just the money, the paycheck they get at the end of the week. Well, Hey, let me just, uh, 
in a quick transition here, just remind you, this is, we're listening to real life questions here on the 48 Days Radio Show from listeners like you. If you got a question, I'd be delighted to work it into an upcoming show. Got a lot of them here at the end of the year, a lot of transitions that people are going through, some unexpected, some uh, initiated by the people that are going through the transitions. Golly, I'm working with a gentleman right now who last year made uh, $250,000, but then his position ended. So he's saying, whoa, I didn't expect this. And here I am right at the end of the year. I need to get back in the game. What should I do to get back in? He, He recognizes he had become too comfortable in that position. And so now he wishes that he would start have started something on the side. Now, that's a real common kind of scenario. And I would encourage you all to be looking at that. You know, even if you have a really great primary job, your core career, still be thinking about what would you do if you wanted to make another $1,000 on the side every month? What would that look like? Because what we're finding is a lot of people who have some kind of a little side business and another gentleman who, who just went through a change again, lost a position after being there quite some time. But in the meantime, he had started a little business on the side actually with him is selling golf clubs. Wow. How cool. Well, he really, he's a passionate about golf. He knows the clubs. He knows how to find them online and other places and he buys them and he has an average of 34% profit, net profit when he sells them. Well, that's, that's astounding to have that kind of net profit. So he had been doing that on the side, generating about $1,500 a month. Well, then he lost his job. Well, guess what? One of the options considered and that he has in fact followed up on is instead of getting another full-time job, he's got a half-time job and he's expanding what he was doing with golf clubs. Because if there's an unlimited supply of golf clubs and he knows he can get that 34% margin, then it's a matter of what if he did four times, what if instead of spending 10 hours a month, what if he spent 10 hours a week. If it really is scalable with what the example I just gave you, if he was making $1,500 a month by spending 10 hours a a month, if he increases that time to 10 hours a week, then theoretically ought to be able to generate $6,000 a month in net profit. I mean, that's how you protect yourself. It's not a matter of being paranoid or negative or suspicious, but in today's volatile workplace, you need to know what it is you could do that would not necessarily require you getting another traditional job. A lot of options out there, but a lot of ways to approach this. Now, this question here says, good afternoon, Dan. I've been a huge fan, been, have benefited greatly from my uh, facilitator training that I went through there in Nashville back in November of 2001. Wow, that's 17 years ago. Goodness, your training and materials have been a cornerstone for me over the past decade, and I appreciate your weekly emails as well. I've really got my money's worth. I could find myself working on my resume again, getting ready to make another move up the ladder. I'm currently in a VP role at a large government contractor in the video delivery business and want to get to half a million dollars a year. And I just don't see it happening in my current role. I make just over $100,000. This is the first time in eight years I've been in the job search market and how things have changed. Now, a couple of things in response to that. Well, I'll read the rest of his question. The reason for my email, in addition to thanking you, is to ask you about the applicant tracking systems, ATS. 
Apparently, employers are using these tools to rate resumes. Can you enlighten me? Looking forward to hearing from you, Dan. Frank, yeah, absolutely. Now, when, when you talk about you're currently making $100,000 and you want to go to 500000 that's a pretty significant uptick, obviously. That typically doesn't come from just doing the same thing in another company. I mean, it certainly doesn't come from just getting your annual increases at the current company, but it is not likely to come from just doing the same thing at another company either. So you're talking about probably having a pretty dramatic change in the kind of work that you do. And I encourage you in doing that. You know, if you know a particular business, you could transition from being an employee to being a independent contractor, as an example. I mean, we know that for a company to hire you, um, they need to be making three to five times what they're paying you based on your efforts. So if they're paying you $100,000, yeah, your efforts with them is not making $101,000. They would never do that. Your efforts with them ought to be bringing in three to $500,000. So according to your model here, if you move from being an employee to be an independent contractor or just being self-employed, you ought to be able to close that gap significantly just by changing the work model that you're using. So yeah, that can be done. Now, as to your question, this applicant tracking systems. Yes, this is something, now this is something that, well, it, it, it bugs me because it dehumanizes the process of getting a job. So what they do, the applicant tracking system, I mean, it's being used by lots and lots of companies out there. As a matter of fact, let's see, I got a stat here, 98% of Fortune 500 companies and a growing number of small and mid-sized companies filter resumes through an applicant tracking system before any person, before any human even takes a look at it. So 98% of Fortune 500 companies, when you send your resume in, it's not even seen by a human. It goes specifically through these sophisticated applicant tracking systems. What they do is they look for keywords. There are algorithm, algorithms that they use. They look for certain things in academic background. I mean, those are the kind of things that they're going to be looking at. Now you can do, you can kind of game the system by using keywords in your resume you can know exactly what they're looking for and then auto, then build those keywords into your resume, even if they don't have a clear application, but just it'll help you get ranked higher. Now, again, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of this kind of system. And let me give you an example of what people are doing. I mean, I'm a fan of getting noticed in creative ways. Now, incidentally, if you want to know how your resume stacks up, you can do this. This is one of the resources I want to give you. You can go to jobscan.co, jobscan.co. You can scan your resume in there and see how it's going to rank based on different kind of categories. But think about the dehumanization of this. I mean, you really want a job, XYZ company, you think you'd be a good match there and Boom, you're going to be eliminated without a human ever seeing your resume. Now, this kind of begs the question because a lot of companies today don't even require a resume. A lot of companies today have done away with requiring a college degree. 
but there are certain ones that still have real clear criteria and they're going to just eliminate anybody. Now, this is kind of a management system for them because if, you know, IBM advertises for a position, you know, they're going to get 3000 applications. So by using an applicant tracking system, yeah, they're going to be able to narrow that down to you know 200 candidates. Now, do they miss good candidates because of that? Yeah, you better believe it. They do. Because good candidates are not always the ones with the highest level degrees, the most years of experience, the most you know technical certifications, and so on. We know that. Now, here's an example. Just this week, I had Leslie Samuel on as our Monday mentor in the 48 Days Eagles community. He talked about how to take a blog and turn it into a full-time business. His presentation was phenomenal. But here's, here's one of the stories that he shared. He was teaching biology, high school level. He loved biology. Now, that doesn't seem like a very you know fancy kind of category. He loves biology. So he was doing not only lots, lots of blogs that had to do with understanding biological kind of concepts and principles, but also doing little videos, three to five minute videos that would go along with that. Well, there was a position came open at one of the universities, really prestigious university. He thought, oh, I would love to teach there. Well, unfortunately, he doesn't have a PhD. And one of the primary criteria was you have to have a PhD. Well, he applied anyway. He not only just sent in a resume, he went to see him. He looked for people who are on the selection committee. He ultimately got just a short interview with somebody who was on that selection committee. And the guy really was kind of perturbed that he was wasting his time because he said, well, look, you know, you don't have a PhD. You know, we require that. And we've already got, you know, 30 applicants with a PhD. And Lester said, yeah, I know that. I know that. But, you know, let me show you a couple of things that I've done. And he pulled up on his computer access to the site where he had done these blogs with the videos. The guy, he says, the guy was sitting there, leaned back in his chair with his arms crossed. And as he started running through a couple of these little videos, the guy leaned up in his chair, unfolded his arms, got up on his elbows, looking at the screen. He says, wow. He says, can I move around here? He took the, the mouse control, moved around. He said, I'd like for you to meet some of the other people in this department. He walked him up and down the hall, introduced him to the people who were on the selection committee so that he then made a case for bringing Leslie on staff as faculty member, even though he didn't have a PhD. And, and of course the rest of the story is yes, he did. I mean, absolutely. He got that, got that position. Certainly did. Well, you can go incidentally, um, the material that Leslie presented, you can go there and, hear his amazing presentation. Well, actually it wasn't the presentation he did for us, but it's a more scripted introduction to that and videos that walk you right through this process of how to take a blog and turn it into a full-time business. If you go to from idea to blog.com. So it's from idea to the number two, not written out to from idea to blog.com. I'll put that in the show notes, but again, you can go there and see how he did that. He went from just blogging to creating a very, very profitable business, 
because of the blogging that he does. He really inspired me with some ideas, some things that I want to, I want to um, introduce, do the, do as well. You know, what, what, how would you make yourself a good candidate if you are going for an interview? I mean, it is not just what you have in your resume. Now, if you're applying for one of these big companies that uses an applicant tracking system, yeah, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting through the system, perhaps. That's why I'm such a big fan of going after smaller companies that don't have those kind of systems in place and where you can use your personality to your advantage and get opportunities in something where you may have more financial opportunity anyway than in a big company. But when you do interview, Goodness, remember to smile. One of the things you'll see if you go to Leslie's videos, he smiles from ear to ear. He's from St. Martin originally. His family's still there, but he smiles from ear to ear. Just a contagious grin. I mean, it doesn't matter what he's talking about, even if it's a dull subject, he smiles from ear to ear. That's a really engaging quality that makes people want to have you on their team. Be pleasant and outgoing. Show self-confidence. I mean, never run down former employers or coworkers. Show interest in the company and the interviewer. Know your resume thoroughly. Be prepared to elaborate on it. Those are some things I've just picked up a copy here of 48 Days to the Work You Love. And incidentally, that uh, package that went out to members of the 48 Days Eagles community had in it a brand new copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love, the 10th anniversary edition copy of Joanne's beautiful book, Be Your Finest Art. It's full of art. It's an art, a piece of art in and of itself, but it helps you understand how to release your creativity, you know, how to do art, not just visual art, but how to do something that really expresses who you are, what your passions, your dreams are, but it's beautifully done. That was in there as well. Let the River Run. That's a little book that talks about the, t- the time in the life of Christ Church here in Nashville when there was kind of an entrepreneurial explosion. The current pastor wrote about what happened in that time, and he uses as the primary examples uh, Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller, and how our businesses grew out of that. But that those three books were in there, and then 48 peppermint candies, two beautiful Keza necklaces that were done by ladies in Kigali, Rwanda, but it made a beautiful package that went out. So everybody in the 40 Days Eagles community is getting a copy of 40 Days to the Work You Love, and that has, of course, lots of current principles about how to make yourself a great candidate in the workplace. Well, you know, uh, Jared Easley is a friend of ours and founder of Podcast Movement. A lot of you who have podcasts have probably been to that. Last year, it was in Philadelphia. I had to think a minute. Where were we? Philadelphia. This year, it's going to be in Orlando in August. But Jared's a great guy, and he posts corny jokes nearly every day on his Facebook feed. Here's today's, the one that came through just today because I it it's about work and I just thought it was so fitting. I recently turned down a job where I would be paid in vegetables. The celery was unacceptable. I want to love his corny sense of humor. I don't know where he gets all those. I'm sure people send them to him as well, but uh funny little piece there. Well, Roxanne has a question. Roxanne, you can't, you can't say that name without hearing that song, has a question. She says, Dear Dan, Is there a way to make money being a real estate agent without being the cold calling? I will tell you anything to get you to sign with me. Salesperson. (laughs) Sincerely, longtime listener and 48 Days Eagles member. Well, yes, 
There is. Sometimes we assume that if you're going to be in real estate, as an example, that, yeah, you need to go knock on 30 doors, you know, this morning and just beg people to list with you. You know, go to all those networking meetings in your community and ask people, ask, ask, ask. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of us who cringe when we get within three feet of a real estate person because they're going to wear us out. I mean, I've got a, a former neighbor who's um, it's a couple there in real estate and I identified them on their phone so I could not answer because they call repeatedly wondering if I know of anybody who wants to buy a house. Well, Yes, you can. There, there are ways to do this, Roxanne. You really can learn how to do this. And one of the resources that I would recommend for you is Joe Stump. Now, Joe's been around a long time. He's a great guy. He has helped countless real estate agents get out of this process of knocking on doors, badgering people, being available 24-7. No. He says if you're a professional, you should after you sell three houses, never have to go cold calling again. Now he trademarked the term by referral only. If you go to buy refer by just by by referral only.com, you'll go right to Joe's material. Real estate agents enroll in his programs and learn how to do this without having to beg people or trick them somehow into listing with you. Yeah, that's old school, immature kind of way to do that. So yes, you can. The answer to your question is yes, you can make money as a real estate agent without, and you can also make money without being available all the time. That breaks my heart when I see people, you know, sitting in church, 1030 in a Sunday morning, they get a text from a client and they, you know, jump up and run out. You shouldn't be that available. I mean, you should have a life of your own. It doesn't require that. My goodness, you're not doing brain surgery. You know, you got to be able to let your clients know when you're available, when you can meet with them. And it shouldn't be any time that's convenient for them. Well, other ways to make your profession, golly, you got to be able to enjoy the profession that you're in, to walk through it in ways that, golly, the ways that you really enjoy. Hit the wrong music button there. We're getting ready to wrap things up here. Well, it is Christmas time. I hope you're having a great end of the year that you're able to reflect back on this year. Uh, we, in my mastermind yesterday, we did reflection back on, you know, what didn't work? I, mean, I love having a group of people where we can be honest with en- enough with each other to not hang our head in shame and say, what didn't work? Now, next week, we're going to talk about what did work and what our projections are for the next year. But we had a lot of really close sharing about things that didn't work this year. You know, I shared some things, haven't worked well, not unexpected, not an unrealistic part of anybody's life. Certainly, we can learn from those and move on. But I hope you've had a great year and that you're anticipating a great year that you have decided what kind of year you're going to have next year. You know, we decide in advance. We pretty much live out what our expectations are. So if you're expecting things to be tough, the economy to be bad, nobody hiring, guess what? That's going to be your reality. If you think, oh my gosh, 2019 is going to be amazing. I'm going to take that little dream that I've had, put legs on it and do something this next year. Then guess what? That's likely to happen. I have five courses that I want to do in the first quarter, the first 90 days 
of 2019. Nine courses that are content that people have really responded to in the last couple of years. I said, I need to put that together in a course. So I'm going to be doing that. Got some cool things coming down the pike. Well, we appreciate your questions coming in. Again, if you have questions, just shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. And overall, we just appreciate you being a part of this community, the way you support others and love others well. As our quotation from Bob Hope talked about, this is a season to be loving others well, but hopefully that's not a one-month kind of proposition. But thanks for being part of this community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is purposeful, meaningful, productive, profitable, a way that we can love others, all those things wrapped into one, a way that gives us a life that's worth living, a life that we love, life in which we're fully alive. That's what we're doing. Thanks for being part of it.